Okay, uh, I have pamphlets here for Camp Arete for anyone who would like them. For those who uh, would like to go, if you know someone that would, might want to go, uh, this Sunday is the deadline for getting in uh, your application for a scholarship. It's $350. I think it's, no, 325 I believe. And it's, uh, they'll pay, what is it, 225 225 so it just leaves $100 for someone to go to Colorado for a week up in the beautiful mountains. All the food, lodging, uh, transportation is already provided for if they get in soon enough with the list. I understand that the, the vans are filling up quickly. So I hope that some folks from this uh, church decide to go, some teenagers, <laughs> I already had a few adults saying they'd like to get in on that, but I. Uh, well, we're we're trying to find that out. I've talked to uh, at least one teenager after church Sunday, and he said he would really like to go. And uh, he has to talk to his parents to get permission, see if they have the funds and so forth. But the, I'm emphasizing the sooner the better that they can get in on the the vans that are going. I think it's a 15-person van, two of them. And also uh, the scholarship, if that's... There's only a couple of them uh, available. But <laughs> mature 13-year-olds. How about immature 60-year-olds? <laughs> um There is a, a a form online that they can uh, fill out and send. You know, uh, the uh, website. I don't think that Brett gave the the website. It's uh, www.camparete. That's a r e t e. Dot world. No, excuse. Dot wordpress. W o r d p r e s s. Dot com. If anybody wants to, um, I think some of them had uh, phone numbers to call. Yeah, they can call this number as well, uh, 832-421-7423, which is the camp director. His name's Jeff. So we'll get that out to the, see if we, anybody wants to take advantage of that. Also, I think tomorrow morning is the, is the morning I'm supposed to be interviewed on the Internet radio. And some of you have received uh, instructions on how to get there, how to get to it. I believe all I'm supposed to do is just call. So we'll see. Okay, uh, today is May. Ooh, it's not May anymore, is it? Okay. just seems like I do this nearly every other time. I'm tearing another thing off here. Okay, today is um, June the 5th, 2012. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. You all know what our standard operating procedure is, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. You provide for all of our needs, most importantly, our spiritual needs. You enable us to understand the whole realm of doctrine through the grace system of perception. You give us everything that we need in order to grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray that you will help us to focus as we look to your word this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are continuing in getting the gospel right, and we are in that area that is kind of, um, what well, is different. It has to do with how to get the ball rolling with regards to giving someone the gospel. Uh, 
And I had very little to go on with regards to any archived information with uh, addressing this issue. I'm kind of surprised that over the years more pastors have not addressed this issue because I think it's one of the most uh, debilitating issues with regards to people witnessing. They would like to witness. They just have never had any training. They never had addressed the issue of how do you get the ball rolling. How do you address someone? And each, each person is different. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is instrumental in this. So um, there is no pat answer. But at least I think we need to think through some ideas, and that's what we're doing. So if you have any ideas that you think might be beneficial as we go through this, then we would like to hear them. These are some of my ideas that I think will be helpful. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the one that will bring to mind the doctrine, gives you the initiative and everything else. But still, we communicate with words. And we seem to be at a loss for words often when we are in the presence of an unbeliever and would like to give them the gospel. So that's where we pick up our study this evening. Here are the notes on the board. We were giving an example of a young cable installer. Uh, if you're going to get uh, Internet cable installed, he comes to your, to your house and you're thinking, well, how can I get the ball rolling with this guy? And remember, uh, before we ever try to be religious with a person, we need to be friendly first. And I say religion, religious in quotation marks because I'm not talking about the legalistic part. I'm talking about talking about spiritual matters. So we came to the conclusion that one good idea would be to ask him if he was around, was from around this area. Uh, did he like his job? Just a little chit-chat. And then sooner or later you have got to break the ice. You have to get into the... Uh, for the lack of a better term, spiritual realm somehow. So if you ask him, does he go to church in this area? And we found that he uh, said no. And then we are going to start a asking a series of questions. We're not trying to pry. We're, we've already set a, a, a rapport with this person. The lines of communication are open because we've just been chatting with him. And we look curious. Well, you don't go to church? Why don't you go to church in this area? And what is following, we're not going to spend hardly any time here because we went over it last time, but this will refresh your memory and help you uh, get a few ideas with regards to how you could answer a person who says, no, they don't go to church in this area. One of the first ones we looked at was if the guy says, when you ask him why not, he says, I don't believe in God. Well, of course, you're not going to leave it at that. You're going to ask him, um, well, why not? Uh, what do you believe in? You're going to ask him a series of questions. And the interesting part of this is you never know where it's going to go. You don't have a clue what he's going to say. But you know one thing, that whatever he says, you're going to follow it with a what? A question. See, you're not arguing. You're just asking information. Really what you want is clarification. You don't understand. What do you mean you don't believe in God? You don't believe that there's any God? Do you not believe in the Christian God, but you believe in another kind of God? I mean, there's a lot of things that you could ask to try to get clarification. By the way, you'll see what was in orange up here is what you would say, and the black is what he would say. So there are the unbeliever might say, I don't believe in all that stuff. And you would say, what stuff? What are you talking about? Or he might say, I'm a good person, I don't need church. I think the best response to that just comes to my mind is, oh, really? You don't need church? Are you that good? Anyhow, so uh, you might ask him, uh, uh, why does, uh, uh, or he might say, I don't need uh, church. Why does uh, being good have to do with going to church? Uh, oh, he says, I'm, I'm a good person, I don't need uh, church. I left the first part out. He says, I'm a good person, I don't need church. And you could a ask a lot of questions. 
Well, you know, how good do you have to be to go to church? Because I go to church. Maybe I'm not good enough. Uh, (laughs) Fill me in. He might say, I don't like churches. Well, why? I've I've got to be on his side on that one. There's very few churches I like as well. Most of them I can't get out of there soon enough. But you might just ask him why. He may say, you don't have to go to church to worship. Is that true? Yes. It's true. But I think a good question would be, okay, well, then where do you worship? I don't think he would see that one coming. Do you? I mean, you take it for granted that he worships. And if you don't worship in church, where do you worship? Do you have a shrine at your house? Do you burn candles? What, what is it? You're just trying to get information. Or he might say, all churches, all churches want is your money. And that's true in most cases. But it's not true for every church, is it? And so you might ask him, are you sure that's true for all churches? Or he might say, I don't, have, I don't have time for church. This one's a little harder, isn't it? I mean, you can always just say, oh. And he's going to see, okay, the ball's in my court. I have to answer this. What am I going to say? And he probably would say, I'm so busy. Oh, well, do you have time for God? That might be a question that might cause him to pause. He might say, I don't need a pastor. I can study for myself. Well, why did God give the spiritual gift to pastor teacher then? Did he just not have a lot to do that day? Figured he'd just start handing out some pastor teacher gifts? He might say, I don't get anything from going to church. This is a really great question here. What are you going for? What are you looking for? Why are you going to church? Boy, that oh, that goes right to the heart of it. And I don't think you'd see that one coming either. Churches are phony. Are you sure all churches are phony? He can't know for sure. Might open the door to tell him, but uh, if you ever went to a church that wasn't phony, you might like it. I don't. I don't belong in church. Well, what makes you think that? You know, a lot of people think that they aren't good enough to go to church. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'll clean myself up, both physically and morally, and then I'll, I might feel good enough to go to church. That's what some people think. And so when you ask them what makes you think that, boy, you can get a lot of information from that, can't you? If they come up with, well, I'm a sinner or whatever, (laughs) well, what a perfect lead-in to the gospel. Churches don't have anything I want. Well, I'd ask you, what do you want? Why would I want to go to church? That was a little harder because he's asking you a question. You ask him a question. You said, do you go to church in this area? And he says, no. And you said, why not? And he says, why would I want to go to church? Well, how would I know? Why don't you tell me why you don't want to go? Or why you think there is no possible reason that you would want to go. Churches are for losers. Not many people will tell you that, but a lot of people think it. They think that religion is just a crutch, uh, a glorified country club, a religious country club where people can go and feel better about themselves and tell each other their problems and all. And he's right in a lot of cases. But I would ask, what gave you that idea? Because it's certainly not true for all churches. In fact, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't ever go to church when you have the opportunity, I think that might very possibly put you over in the loser category for not going to church. Of course, I'm not talking about the regular Disneyland church. I'm talking about a doctrinal church. I'm burned out on churches. Well, what do you mean? What does it mean burned out on churches? Have you ever been burned out on churches? I, I was burned out one time. I was so burned out I didn't go to church for a year. It's when I started the Texas A&M. And they had a church on campus. And I would have guys sometimes, hey, let's go to church. I'm not going to church. Well, why not? I said, because nobody's making me. Because I was burned out. I was tired of the fluff. 
But I don't know what he might be thinking when he says that. So you might ask, well, what do you mean? Burn out. What happened? Uh, churches are such, uh, excuse me, Christians are such hypocrites. Um, are all Christian hypocrites? Well, I don't think everybody's a hypocrite to a degree. It's our nature. We want to have one upmanship on other believers and wherever we have an area of strength in our lives, we want to strut about and look down our nose at everybody else and think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. That's our nature. But there's hypocrites everywhere. They're in church. They're in beer joints. They're in biker clubs. They're even in gangs. There's always hypocrites. Oh, here's the hardest one. It's none of your business. What do you do at this point? Huh? Have you, by the way, has anybody ever had someone, when you were asking them, trying to lead into the gospel and asking them some questions in order to break the ice, has any of you ever had anyone say, that's none of your business? No one? Okay, well. I guess we might not have to address this, but it would be good to know what to say. Something along these lines. Anytime someone confronts you and you get the sense that you have offended them, it doesn't even matter if they were hypersensitive and you did really nothing that should be construed as offensive. First thing you should do is be humble. And if I have offended you, if I have in any way made you uneasy or whatever, I apologize. It was not my intention to do so. That should be the first thing you do. Because that's not belittling you. It's not making you less of a person. It's making you so much more of a person. You're not the weak one. You're the strong one who does that. And just be, be truthful. I just wanted to uh, find out if you were saved. And then I would have to throw in, are you? Now, if he's already said it's none of your business, chances are he might just say, get out. But maybe, it'd be, maybe he was at my house <laughs> I say, well, I can't get out of my house. Okay, that's a little bit of review now. New ground, lesson 64. This is just a sampling of what can come from a simple question that opens the door for giving someone the gospel. Here are a few more possible door openers. Now, here's where we are trying to get ideas to open. So you can chit-chat all you want, but it's, it's, it's comparable to sales. There are some people who... People would say have the gift of gab. People like them. They are easy to make friends. And people would think they would be great salesmen, but a lot of times they are horrible salesmen because they never close. They never get the job done. They never ask for the sale, see. And I'm comparing that to this. At some point in your conversation, you're going to have to quit talking about the weather, uh, quit talking about how slow the mail is, or how fast time goes, or how much the children have grown. You have to get off of all that at some point, and you have to close the deal. You have to start leading that conversation towards the goal of telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's what this is about. Here are a few openings. Last time we got as far as number one, are you afraid of death? Now, this one, I probably shouldn't have had it first because this certainly would not be my first choice. But I, there have been times that I've tried to think of something on the spur of the moment and that just came out, especially if you're at a funeral, something like that, it might be appropriate. And I think I told you last time about an account I had with a young man that uh, it worked well. Uh, what will happen to you after you die? That's less threatening, but it's a good, good question. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what's going to happen to you after you die? Now, you wouldn't open with that, but after a little bit of chit-chat, you might say, you know, I was thinking about something recently. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. If you say something like that, it's kind of getting permission. They say, oh, well, what's that? They're asking, what is it? And then you can say, well, I've been thinking about what happens after you die. What do you think? You see how that is non-threatening? After you have established a rapport, you've been talking to them, there's some friendly chit-chat. This might work well with a friend, too. 
You know, sometimes I think we are, we step over the people we're closest to in order to get those we don't know. But the ones that are closest to us, and time has passed, years have gone by, maybe you have never broached the subject of the gospel with your friends. And this might be a good way to do it, just in the middle. You don't have to develop a big chit-chat with them. You already have a rapport. They're, they're friends. And you might just say, I've been thinking about this lately. I don't know why I've been thinking about it and tell them, what do you think happens after you die? I, I wanted to get your take on it. They probably, don't, don't you think they would probably start giving you the, their ideas? That might be a good one, especially for friends. How about this one? Do you have eternal life? How many people, by the way, just as a, a straw poll here, how many of you think that people are going to have a positive answer towards that? How many people that you would address do you think are going to say, oh, absolutely? Huh? Not many, right? Uh-huh. I mean, unless they go to this church or another Bible church. Unless, in other words, unless they're really squared away on the gospel, chances are very strong that they're going to say, well, I don't know, or, or well, I hope so. That's what, you, that's what you can count on. By the way, anytime you're talking about going to heaven, eternal life, being saved, or anything else, and people say, they use this term, I hope so. That should be an automatic trigger point for your next question. And your next question, I think the most effective one would be, would you like to know for sure? How many people, when you ask them that, are going to say, well, no, I'd rather remain ignorant. I, I, I don't want to know about that. I've never heard of anyone asking that question, would you like to know for sure, and get, no, I would not. I want to stay in the dark. Now, you might, you might get some that say, uh, well, I don't think anyone can know. And if they, if they said that, would you be interested for me to show you the answer in the Bible? So you're not telling them what it is, but you're asking them a question. You're giving them permission. You're not forcing yourself. If you said, uh, do you have eternal life? They say, I don't know, I hope so. And you say, would you like to know for certain? And you might say, uh, that they might say, well, I don't think anyone can know for sure. And you don't want to get in an argument. You don't want to put them on the defensive. You might say, would you like to know what the Bible says? How about that? Hmm? What do you think they're going to say? You think you can get a no to that? Then some of you are already squirming in your seats because where do you go to prove that? Huh? Yeah, First John 5, 13. First John 5.13. And if you, what if you don't have your Bible? What if you know the address, but you don't know the verse? See, that's why it's so important that we get some of these in our souls so that we can remember. These things were written to those who believe in the Son of God that they may, what? Know that they have eternal life. Boy, what a wonderful verse that is. Now, if they say, well, I still don't believe it, Okay, that's fine. You're not arguing with me. This is God's Word. Take it up with God. Well, or, you know, whatever the Holy Spirit would lead you to say. <laughs> um, here's another one. Have you ever wondered about heaven? Now, that's really not threatening, isn't it? Isn't that a great one? Just, you're... I, I think so many times when I've gone fishing with guys, and sometimes there was a female around, but usually it was just guys. And we're sitting there, and you know, throwing out there, having a little Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> and as we're reeling, you know, it's this, hey, uh, have you wondered about heaven, what it's going to be like? What are you going to do if they say no? And it's dropped. What do you, are you going to let that defeat you? What would you say? You ask them, have you ever thought about heaven? And they say no. What are you going to say? First of all, I don't believe them. Would you? 
Do you think that there can be an adult person that has never thought of heaven? Now, I, I have to admit, a lot of people spend a, their entire life doing all they can to not think about it. Because if they think about heaven, then they have to think about that other place as well. And they don't want to think about that. Anyway, I think that's a very non-threatening. Have you ever wondered about heaven? Did I do where would you spend eternity? Did I, did I skip that one? Okay, where, where will you spend eternity? That's the same as the one above it. What answer are you going to get probably 90% of the time? Either I don't know or I hope so. Um, oh, here's a good one. Are you good enough to go to heaven? <laughs> now, see, I'm giving you a lot of these. Pick one you like and stick with it. Or pick a couple. But get something in your soul that you can throw out there. Boy, that'll stop someone in their tracks, wouldn't it? Well, what's the correct answer? What is the correct answer for anyone? No. Right. Uh -huh. If they say yes, <laughs> that's what makes all this so interesting. You don't know what they're going to say. Are you good enough to go to heaven? Yes. And you know what? In a way, they could explain it, and that could be the correct answer as well. I'm good enough to go to heaven because I have God's righteousness. See? So it, it, you don't know how it's going to fall, but you, you, you're just talking to people. So, um, I think this shouldn't be due. It probably should be, does everyone go to heaven when they die? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Because you would be, remember in this very gospel series that I'm doing here, universalism, remember what that was about? And how many people think that everyone goes to heaven? That'd be a good question. How bad would someone be to go to hell? <laughs> now, you probably wouldn't get this unless maybe someone was talking about, uh, I can think of a time that uh, there was a, some kind of uh, multiple murder that took place in Houston. I was on the job, and the guys were started talking about it. And I said that something that was very inflammatory, and <laughs> they wanted to attack me. But this might have been better. Um, how bad must someone be to go to hell? That would have been a good question, wouldn't it? And maybe you have that opportunity. Somebody's talking about somebody that's just absolutely despicable and they are just incorrigible, they're just horrible. And you might just throw, throw that out, see what, if, it's, if it sticks. Uh, did I live one out? Oh, yeah. Do you ever worry about going to hell? That's it. What do you think about that one? Huh? I think a lot of people do. I hope nobody in this church does. I don't think they do. But outside of this church, outside of any person who understands the gospel and understands eternal security, uh, they spend time thinking about that. So that, that might be a good one as well. Um, do you know... Okay, do you know, <laughs> there should be a space there. I've got to put it there. This, is new, this, looks, this bothers me right here. Noonie? <laughs> okay. Do you know no one goes to hell for sins? Now, this is, what the, this is the inflammatory thing I said, and they were ready to fight. And you would only use this in certain circumstances. But I can assure you, you're going to get some... Probably spirited debate on that one. And when someone starts attacking you on this, because that's what everybody, isn't that what everybody thinks out there? Everybody goes to hell for their sins. And as soon as someone starts attacking you for it, the first thing you're going to say is, don't say it, think it. Why? Why what? Why did Christ go to the cross? What? Was it a wasted trip if we go to hell for our sins? What was Christ doing on the cross? Did he fail? Or is God unjust? 
either Christ failed, he didn't really die for the sins, they were really imputed to him, or else God is unfair because it would be unjust for God to punish him for our sins and punish us as well, right? You are in the catbird seat. Do you understand this? When you throw these questions out to people, they're going to probably give you the standard answer. What a great time to tell them something. See, this is shocking. This is something they're going to remember. This is something that a guy out on a construction job would go home and tell his wife about. Did you know what this guy said to me today? What? He said that nobody goes to hell for their sins. What? You see what I'm saying? Listen, it's time to ruffle ruffle some feathers if that's what it takes. The time is short. People are going to hell and they have believed the lie. And we're trying to broach this subject. And you can either ease into the water. You know, some people get into the water and they just kind of little toe and then they back off and they put a little more in there and then they get their foot in. And, and then there's people like me that just go right into the deep end. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing to do. We should customize these phrases for the circumstance. But this one will sure get their attention. Um, here's a few more. Do you think a person can uh, know he is saved? Now, who would you say this to, probably? Who is this somebody you would say to? Yeah, well, it's somebody probably is a churchgoer. Probably would be a Christian that you would say, that, or you think they're a believer. Because this is really uh, over the head of an unbeliever. An unbeliever probably never has this thought that you can know for sure whether you're saved. But you might come on to a, a baby believer that's, has believed the gospel, but he has no assurance. He might be doubting. Here's one. How do you think a person is saved from hell? You're not asking them, are you going to hell? You ask them, how do you think a person is saved from hell? Isn't that a good question? Boys, no telling why you would. What do you expect they're going to say? Because you have to, you have to already be thinking this through before you get to that situation. So if you ask, how do you think a person is saved from hell? What are they going to probably throw out? 90% of the time. Good works. you got to be good, right? And when they say you got to be good, I'm going to ask, why? Why do I have to be good? And how good do I have to be? And how do I know if I'm good enough to, go that, to, to not go to hell, to be saved from hell? Aren't those some good questions? See, what we're trying to get the people to do is think. They're just, they're just parroting what they have heard their entire life. They've really never thought about it that much. And usually when they say something that is the standard pat answer, no one has ever taken it any further. Here's the most standard one, I guess, is are you saved? And <laughs> that's kind of a general question, isn't it? Saved from what? I'm, there are people who say, what are you talking about? Saved from what? Saved from going under in my business or what? Saved from, And do you know why I like this more than the heaven part? Because if you're talking to a stranger, it might be a Jehovah Witness, it might be a Mormon, and they don't think you're going to heaven anyway, and then you make heaven the issue and you have to address that. Why not just leave it out and just ask them if, if they're saved. Because I don't want to have to go through the whole heaven thing. What I want to do is make Christ and faith alone in Christ the issue. I don't want to talk about heaven if I don't have to at that point. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're saying that to, an, to a person you don't know, maybe they are a, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, and then you've got to fight through the heaven thing. So it's just, are you saved? How do, uh, do you know? Which one are we on? Oh, are you saved? Okay, then... Do you know how to be saved? See, we're asking questions. I bet you could take a poll of 10,000 people out there and ask them, has anyone ever asked you, do you know how to be saved? And I bet you less than a half a percent or less than that has ever been asked that question. See, you want to catch them off guard. You want to 
just see are you saved that ha- that happens all day long i mean that's so many times believers they don't know anything else so they are you saved do you believe in jesus they're used to that but if you ask them do you know how to be saved they've got to think see they can't answer that with a yes or no i think that's a good one uh have you heard the good news <laughs> Have any of you ever used that one? Yeah. How'd it work? You use it, Pete? That's a good one. They got to be in your sub. You got they've. That's yeah, on. Uh, these questions have to be in your subconscious. See, that's what we're. That's what I'm trying. You hit the button right there. That's what I'm trying to write and do with these. The reason I'm giving you these is to give you some ideas to get the juices flowing. You don't have to use the exact one, but you need to put some thought about it. You're hearing these things, these different phrases that you could use as a springboard, as a trigger to get into the gospel. And if you think about it ahead of time, you're going to have a lot better chances of coming up with something than what most people come up with is nothing, and then they feel just intimidated. Mike, I'd like to also say, just a little over an hour ago, we were having uh, not cable problems, but we were having direct TV problems. And I, I called, and I, I, this girl answered the phone, or lady, and she said, My name is Grace. Can I help you? Uh-huh. Well, that's a springboard question. <laughs> I, I say, boy, what a springboard question. So she led me through all this, and I, I, I don't always remember names, but I remember Amazing Grace, so yeah. I remembered that. So uh-huh. anyhow, the, uh, after we got through discussing and, and the failures of, of it, she's going to have to send a technician, but that's beside the issue. I come back to the fact, I said, did you know that your name is found in the Bible? And she said, yes, my mother said she named me because she loved grace in the Bible. I said, do you know any passages that has grace in it? Well, there's a bunch of them. And I said, well, how about Ephesians 2, 8, 9? And quoted it to her. She Mm -hmm. said, oh, yes. And then I challenged her to think about it because the object of that faith is Christ. It's not church. It's It's not good works. It's not membership in any organization or eliminated all the things that people hang up on i said the object of the faith is what counts and then after that after we went into that uh i gave her the website and i said if you want more grace turn to go to this website and and learn a lot more about grace see that's having your antenna out see if you're looking for opportunities man they're all over the place last time that i uh said a phrase like this was to a young man that I only had a minute with and there was others around and so it just popped in my head and I said are you going to heaven he says I go to church every week I said I didn't ask you how often you go to church I ask you if you're going to heaven that's not the same thing and uh, he says well I hope so (laughs) you know standard thing we have to have something in our soul. That's what we're trying to do. Springboards, trigger points, whatever. We need to think about these things because you know what's going to happen? If you, you are motivated to do it, you have a person in your radar and you're ready to close in and you can't think of anything, more times than not, nothing is going to happen. That's why it's important that we start feeding our soul with some of these things and we start thinking about this so when we actually are on the front lines and we have the opportunity, something will come to mind. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't going to pull something out that's not there, so we're putting some things there. Um, so have you heard the good news and the what news? The best news. Well, you know, whatever. You, this is one you could try. Uh, do you know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? You know, what are they going to do? Oh, yeah, well, he was, uh, well, you don't know what they're going to say. And that's what I say. You, and that's non-threatening. Just what, what do you think? Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? You know what Jehovah's Witnesses will say if they were honest? To make you savable. 
they use a word that's not in the Bible. Savable is not in the Bible. In fact, I don't even know of any Jewish, I mean, any Greek word that means savable. They say that, that Christ did his part, and now you've got to do yours. So you would, you would sort that out, you would, you would ferret that out if you asked them, do you know what the Bible, uh, I mean, why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? And then, here's one, if I gave you Bible verses, would you read them? I did that one. And I never had anyone say, no, I won't do it. And I had a list. And that kind of segues into something else, but I have a quote here that I think is good. This came from the Emmaus Journal, volume 14, from Emmaus Bible College. It says, this is another springboard. Where are you in your relation to God right now? Are you out on the street looking at God's house? Are you walking up the sidewalk? Are you knocking on the front door? Or are you inside and part of the family? Now, one reason people would like this is because it's multiple choice. <laughs> Didn't you like that when you were taking tests in school? Oh, I always liked the multiple choice. I always had at least a chance. Um, but it might make them think. That's just another idea. Now, we're going to, these are, there are others. Maybe you can come up with some, but you understand we need to be thinking about these things so we can actually kick into gear. Now, what would you say to the young cable installer? You know, that's what we're all, we're talking about, this cable installer. You ask him, does he go to church around here? And he says no, and you said why, and then we had all these possibilities. So, what would you say to the young cable installer if he told you that he did go to church in your area, St. Michael's, or to the Church of Latter-day Saints, or to a Kingdom Hall. Ah. Oh. Now what are you going to do? Would you rather go back to, <laughs> to the rank unbeliever? <laughs> Listen, I don't blame you. It's easier. It's the ones that uh, go to these that are steeped in religion. And they're the hardest nut to crack. But they can be cracked. And the way you do it, your hammer to crack that nut, apart from the Holy Spirit, is what? Questions. Questions. Because you see, questions make people think. And people don't think anymore. They just regurgitate what someone told them. So many people know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. And when you start asking them these questions, you're asking them not necessarily what. They might be telling you what they believe, but you're essentially going to say why. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize, especially with this St. Michael's thing, I have a a um, PowerPoint. I have something that I was going to use, but I don't think I use it cause now because I don't have time to go through it. But this is the essence of what I want you to do when someone says that they go to uh, St. Luke's or St. whatever. You know, when they say they go to St. Michael's or whatever it is, you're pretty well sure that it's going to be a Catholic church. And I think, yeah, it could be Lutheran, uh, Methodist, there's, there's not a, there are some superficial differences in the ones that are named, whether they're Lutheran or Episcopal, Catholic or whatever. But for the most part, especially with regards to the Catholic one, don't suppose that they are Christian just because they go to a Catholic church. In fact, I think just the opposite should be the, the case. The, um, someone sent me a very good article by Dave Hunt. It's called, A Cult is a Cult. And I was going to read excerpts from you to really uh, accentuate and uh, point out that if a person subscribes to Catholic dogma, that's what they believe, they are on the train to the lake of fire. Now, 
We don't know. Some people who go to the Catholic Church, no doubt, have been saved somewhere along the way. They, might, they probably don't even know it. They might have gone to a, to a, a revival at some church. Um, maybe they went to a crusade or some, something, and maybe they heard the gospel and they believed it. Do you want to take that chance? So you, what I'm saying is you would treat someone that goes, that says, that, uh, this, this installer who says he goes to uh, St. Michael's, the same way that you would an unbeliever. Why? Because they're an unbeliever. They have bought into a false gospel and they believe in another Christ, not the Christ of the Bible. Now, I'm saying this to you because I think there's a latent, maybe not so latent, but to a degree, some kind of latent feelings or ideas that because someone goes to church faithfully and they're good people, like so many Catholics are, eh, they're probably saved. And I'm saying you're on your radar and your printout, when someone says they go to St. Michael's, there should be red alarms going off in your soul. This person needs the gospel. He needs to hear the true gospel. So a- apart from this... Uh, article that I have some excerpts from that I'm not going to show. I don't have enough time right now. I want you to think about that. He says, I go to St. Michael's with a big grin. He's proud of the fact that he goes to St. Michael's. He thinks that he has pleased you because he's equating going to church with going to heaven or being saved or being good and all these other things. So he's pleased that he can tell you, yes, I go to St. Michael's. Now, your job is cut out for you. What are you going to do at that point? I want you to think about that right now. Think about it now so when it happens, you've already put some thought into it. What would you say to this person? What are you remembering? You're probably talking to an unbeliever. So you are going to direct the conversation, if you can, to what? The gospel. He needs to hear the gospel. It's the last thing that he's going to be thinking of because he's a good Catholic. He goes to Mass. I don't know however, however many times they do it and all the razzmatazz. So how are you going to get it around to the gospel with someone who is a churchgoer? We're going to ask him a question, right? That may be right one way, but... Uh, You might ask him if he likes the church. Do you like going there? He might say, oh, yeah, I really like it. What do you like about it? And he's, he might say, oh, well, I like all the liturgy. So what are you going to do then? You might just say, hey, I'm curious. I don't know, I don't know many Catholics. What do, what do Catholics believe you, you have to do in order to be saved or to go to heaven? Or what do, you, what do Catholics think about being born again? Now, what do you want to, uh, all those terms that I'm using, I want you to know because I've done research on this, are completely foreign to Catholics. They, it doesn't even, they don't even know what you're talking about. Born again? Try to find born again in the Catholic catechisms. It's not there. Because they don't believe in faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a system of works. It it is totally a system of works. And even if you do all the works down to the nth degree and you're the best Catholic living, you're still going to have to go to purgatory, which does not exist, but they believe it does, and to be purified of more sins because you're not pure enough. Now, of course, that, that means that Christ didn't take care of your sin problem on the, on the cross. So what you have to do at this point, I was thinking about this, about how I could present it to you. One thing about this born again, if, if you bring up something about born again, he says he goes to St. Michael's, you might ask him a question like, uh, you know, I'm curious, I don't know many Catholics, uh, what do they teach about being born again over there? What do you think he's going to say? <laughs> oh, well, I don't, they don't teach anything. And, of course, I would look like I was just 
Whoa, what? They don't teach anything about born again? Do you, do you know what it means to be born again? Have you ever heard the term? You know, just talk to them. And then, if you had a Bible, where would you go? John chapter 3. Yeah. Talking to Nicodemus. Remember? Nicodemus was in the middle of pontificating. He was a, had a Ph.D. in theology. And a Ph.D. in Phariseeism. And Christ interrupted him and said, you must be born again. You see, that's what you want to do to this person that doesn't have a clue. They are like the Pharisee. They have bought into, the, into all the liturgy and all the works and all the symbols and all the junk, and they have to be born again. So if you bring that up and you have a Bible, you say, look, let me show you in the Bible what it says. This is Christ talking to Nicodemus. You go right through it. Well, if you don't have a Bible, what are you going to do then? Punt. <laughs> From the looks of your faces, you're going to punt. Huh? You can still tell them the account about Nicodemus. Did you ask him the question? Did you know that Christ told Nicodemus you must be born again? That no one can go to the Father except through Christ and they have to be born again. And you told me that you don't, you, you don't know what they teach about being born again? You, all these are questions, do you see? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm trying to get you to be ready. And not take a person that goes to St. Michael's and say, Oh, you go to St. Michael's? Oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can do that or you can just say, Oh, you're on your way to hell, huh? <laughs> That's another way. Maybe in some situations, maybe, you know, Paul used to get their attention. He used to shock them. And sometimes that catches them off their guard, and then they will listen. It's harder. It's harder whether it's a Jehovah Witness, whether it's a Mormon, whether it's a, a, a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or a Catholic, because they are all religious people. And religion is the devil's ace trump. It's the big lie. And they feel good about it. And I can't even begin to tell you the pull you know, we, we talk about peer pressure with teenagers. That peer pressure doesn't stop when you're teenagers, especially when it comes to your religion. Your family was Catholic. Your uncles and your aunts are Catholic. Your friends are Catholic. And you're telling me that I have to be born again and nobody that I know has even heard that term? What are you talking about? And, oh... Wait till I get to this article. I'll get to it first next time. Because the way you phrase it, the way you handle it, has a lot to do with how they are going to accept it. Now, I, I just kind of tongue-in-cheek said, oh, you're a Catholic, oh, so you're one of those ones going to hell. Um, there has to be a certain amount of sensitivity, and yet you have to have salt in what you say as well. And that takes not only the guiding of the Holy Spirit, but some, some premeditation on your part with these issues. And once you start asking questions, you can't prepare. You don't know what, they're going to, what the answer is going to be. But you can't go wrong if every, every time they tell you, well, I don't think you have to be born again. Never heard of Catholics talk about it, so I guess it's not necessary. And you're going to say... Oh, really? Where'd you get that idea? You know where they didn't get it, don't you? See, we, we act as if we are the underdogs. We act as if we're behind the eight ball and we are in the catbird seat. We have the truth. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God that is guiding us. The worst thing I can possibly think to be with regards to religion is to be like Jehovah's Witnesses who are forced. They don't want to go knock on doors. 
They have to do it to keep from going to hell. And they have to go and try to peddle what? Good news? No, horrible news. The Catholic Church has just absolutely uh, exasperating news. It's not good. There's nothing good about any of it. And yet they have to go and peddle it. We have the good news. We say it is free. Absolutely no cost. Christ took care of the bill on the cross. And you don't have to do anything other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him, what He has done. And your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Guaranteed. You never have to question it again. Is that good news? How can you get better than that? Huh? And yet, oh, well, I don't know. They might not like what I say. Um... I might be caught off guard and not, not have an answer to the question. I might, you know, and we milly mouth around. But so many times we have the motivation, but we can't get the ball rolling. And so that's what this was about. It's for you to think now. You see, that's what we're doing. We're, we're preparing now for what's coming next. And what's coming next is maybe a few more years on this earth. We still can be good servants, we still can look for ways to be good servants, looking for opportunities to give the gospel. And so, what if we're rejected? So what? Faithfulness is in trying, not in having a, a high success rate with conversion. Yes, you have something. Okay, Jews. You handle Jews exactly the same way. That's a good. That's a good point, though. I mean, I have all these others, but Jews are as the Jews. If they believe in the Judaism, if they believe that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah, they're lost. And you would talk to them the same way that you would with a as an unbeliever. Only with a Jew, there's one particular thing you might keep in mind. Don't be quoting things in the New Testament. They don't accept it anyway. You have to be adapt in the Old Testament. You have to present Jesus Christ in the Old Testament and prove that it's faith alone in the Old Testament. Can you do that? What about Abraham? Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. What about Isaiah 53? Just tell him, read it. Just read it and try to tell me that Jesus, Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. Go to Psalm 22. You can go to the Old Testament and tear them apart. Most of them don't even know what the Old Testament says anyway. I'm sorry, I'm out of time. And uh, I don't know how smooth this flowed. Not very. But the whole point is for us to think about this now. Get ready. Opportunities are out there if you want them. And don't be afraid. Fear, fear strikes out every time. Fear of being rejected. Fear of doing it wrong. Let me tell you something. Would you rather go out there and say or do something wrong? Would you rather say something wrong or would you rather sit back behind and play it safe and be kicking yourself from now on for, for playing it safe and not going out there? You can't be... There's a... I saw it in the Daily Bread, you know, the little book that you get. It's impossible to give the gospel to the wrong person. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your provision, for your word. We thank you for this time that you afforded us to think on these issues. We can't go in to... The to witness to people or even give sound doctrine to people unless we have put thought in it beforehand. Just like Joshua. He meditated upon your word. He thought about it. And he was a prepared believer. We want to be the same. So we pray that you will prepare us in our soul, that we'll meditate on these things, think about it, and put them into practice. And if we witness to 20 people and every one of them turn us down flat, we are still good and faithful servants. 
We thank you for that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.